Alright, first, move much. I'm gonna trip over all of this. Then it really will be Humor Sunday. Alright. Okay. First, I wanna say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for being my family. I know that I'm this thing they call pastor, which I wish you wouldn't call me that, but that's okay. Um, I needed church today. I needed to come to a place where people are smiling and giving me a hug. I needed coffee. Um, And so you might feel like that sometimes. I feel like that sometimes. Today is one of those. I think one thing that I do that I shouldn't do is I kind of put Easter, you know, on that thing where I'm like, I'm focused to get to Easter. I have that in my mind from Christmas, right? And then we got there, and then I was like, like I let down. I'm like, oh, it's Sunday again. What? Church happens on Sunday after Easter? I almost did a prank and just didn't show. Um, But, uh, so I, then Greg and I had quite the epic adventure this weekend, um, we went down to help a lady move, um, down in, which classic Marcus I thought was North West of Boston. So like an hour and a half from here, I plugged it into my GPS. Nope. It's on the Cape, which is very different. And we went down five o'clock traffic at, you know, in Boston and it was blitzing snow. So everyone was freaking out. And then we come to find out there is one lane of traffic loud onto the bridge at the Cape because they're working on it for the next two months. So, yeah, the three-and-a-half to four-hour ride took almost seven. So, um, but it was crazy because we were going down to stay with a guy who has begged us to come down and stay with him. You know, he, he comes to the church service once in a while up here. He's connected with us actually through Waterville more than even Loon. And um, he's just been, come on, come to the Cape, come to the Cape. And I have to admit something. I've been a New Englander for 35 years. I've never been to the Cape, you know, which is crazy, right? But Western Mainers, the Cape, a little different. Um, and uh, so we're like, when I, when I Googled where we were going, I'm like, oh, it's on the Cape. I noticed it was right next to my friend's house. So I was like, classic Marcus, I call him up, I'm like, hey. I'm going to be at your town tonight. And he wrote the guy. He's like, yeah, we'd love to have you. Our church is sponsoring this banquet at this resort called A Night with the Author. You totally should come, and you're welcome you know, to come. You need to be here at 6 o'clock. So we said, yep, all right. So we left at 1 in the afternoon, 1.30-ish, and we got there at 7 p.m. You know, and so, but it worked out great because I, I didn't miss out on the food. We literally walked in. Walked in as the last people were getting in line for the all-you-can-eat Italian buffet. So that worked out perfect. So Craig and I clean up really well. Um, but then it was absolutely incredible. The author, uh, her name is Robin, and she's from the Cape. And Robin had a really, really rough start. Ran away from home at 15 and got into some really heavy stuff. And she was a tough, tough woman. 
Well, she was hating New York City, and she decided to go live a little bit more of an outdoor life, and she went to work on the Cape, shucking clams, shucking oysters, and harvesting uh, scallops. And she, on her own words, she said, I was that intimidating single mom, three kids, cigarette hanging out of my mouth, single cab, red pickup truck, and you did not want to mess with me. You know, like I was cynical, I was angry, and I was definitely angry at God and everyone that ever said anything about God, you know. And, uh, but she had her boss's wife, sweet old lady, would keep saying, Jesus loves you, Robin. He loves you. Robin would take a drag off her cigarette, you know, and be like, whatever, and go shuck some more, you know, oysters or whatever. And, um, and so uh, she kept saying that. And one day, Robin just, don't know why, but got herself to the little storefront church that this little old lady went to. And she's like, I don't know what took over me, but I walked down to the altar and I confessed that I needed God and I needed Jesus in my life. And she said, I was like, she goes, she's in her words, she goes, I turned around and all these people were staring and smiling at me. And she's like, it was like one of those dreams where you don't have your pants on. She's like, out of the church. I just ran. She's like, I just ran by everybody, went out to the church and got in my truck and was like, what? What just, what was that? And she goes, I don't know. That was weird. I'll go home. So she went home, went to sleep. And even she said the next morning she woke up and she's like, something's different. And so began her life with Jesus. But her three boys um, gave her a run for her money and they were in trouble with the law quite often. And her oldest son, um, Spencer, uh, got in trouble with the law quite a bit, and to the point where he needed to go to Teen Challenge. And so he ended up going to Teen Challenge, and at Teen Challenge, well, I think right before he went to Teen Challenge, he gave his life to Jesus. And he went to Teen Challenge and was just radically changed by the power of grace and Jesus in his life. And so he began to journal as a 19-year-old boy and write poetry that was absolutely astounding. And he became kind of a rap artist, and he would rap in front of people, God's love, and it was quite incredible. Well, um, at this time, Robin had become an ER nurse. She's not shucking clams and scallops anymore. She was an ER nurse, and she was working there in Hyenas at the ER um, one night. And a young man who had been murdered came in, and she was going over the identity of the body and doing things. And she was handed the wallet of the young man, and it was her son. And it was Spencer. And her book begins with a paragraph about when, uh, when what's that thing called? The tsunami? Is that what it's called? Craig, where are you? Tsunami, yeah. Her book begins when she describes a tsunami where the water, you know, comes out and everyone's kind of like, what's going on? And then the water comes and it takes over a city and then rips everything back out to the black hole of the ocean. And she said that's kind of what it felt like happened to her as she saw her 21-year-old boy there in the ER. And the story of her book is the story of grace of God and where he took her. And she said it felt like there was a barren field in front of her with just a bunch of plowed up dirt, nothing there. And Jesus gave her a bag and said, begin to plant seed so something new will grow. And she felt like I was just in a desert. I was going to dry up out here. There's nothing out here. And Jesus just gave me a bag to just start planting seed. And so she did. And in the process of the last, I think it's been 16 years, I think, um, she has forgiven 
uh, the murderers. They, it was an unintentional murder. He, he was, uh, he, he, they, 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 jumped, they, they jumped him and thought he was somebody else. And um, so it was, he was unintended murder. And um, she has forgiven them. And not only has she forgiven them, but she goes and she does church in jail with them. And she goes and she brings them church, which is really quite something else. And uh, so it was interesting because here I was, you know, like angry at traffic. I'm not good in traffic. And I'm driving John Hamm's three-quarter ton pickup truck with our church's two-axle trailer through the heart of Boston. You know, I was not having fun. And, uh, but it was just to hear her story, right, was incredible. And what was really funny is everyone's kind of getting a book afterwards and having her autograph it and whatever. And I was waiting in line for my autograph of my book. And the guy that was with me introduced me to her and told her what I did. And she said, oh, my, my husband Calvin is a big, big time skier. He loves heli skiing. He's a big, big time skier. And I was like, oh, and he walked by and I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk to him. So I went over and talked to him like, hey, Calvin, my name is Marcus. I'm a big skier. He's like, oh, awesome. We started talking. And he goes, he goes, did you know that there is a ministry at Loon Mountain? I said, dude, more. Really? No way. And so connected. just like, you're a pastor? Tell me, how did I have no idea. Um, and so it was just a beautiful night. And then the next morning, Craig and I got to go to the men's breakfast there on the, on, on the Cape with the Osterville Baptist Church. And then what was supposed to be a three-and-a-half-hour ride home turned to another six-hour ride. We, we loaded the trailer with this lady's stuff that she was donating to the thrift shop and moving out. And uh, we blew a trailer tire in Dorchester. That is not Lincoln. <laughs> got off the exit. There was a Toyota dealership. I walked into the Toyota dealership. It was literally like a mall. It was like a legitimate mall. It even had like a cafe with a full lunch menu. And there were literally 300 people in this dealership. I'm like, what? I've never been in a dealership like that ever, right? So I walked in and I'm like, do you got like a breaker bar? Or like I need like a deep socket 1316. And the kid was like, I don't know what that is. You can check with parts. I'm like, okay. So I walked down the parts counter while the kid's on the phone with his girlfriend for like 15 minutes. He gets off the phone and he's like, can I help you? I'm like, I need like a, I'm broken down with a trailer. I need like a tire iron or something to break my lug nuts. I need like a deep socket 13 16 He goes, we don't sell that. I'm like, okay, do you have a mechanic? And he's like, uh, go in the garage. So I go in the garage. There's a Parker's. There's literally like, not even kidding you, like eight to ten workers that are just valet parkers. They never even heard of a tire iron before. <laughs> then I went really days of detailing cars. They weren't helping me because they had shop backs. And then there was bays of mechanics, right? Twelve bays of mechanics, all with their headphones in. And you know, I'm going to touch on something kind of sensitive right now, but, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a minority. So I don't know how to have compassion on people that feel like a minority. And it was good for me. I walked into this garage, and nobody looked like me. I'm, 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 I'm talking, there's 12 bays of mechanics. There are five bays of detailers. There are tons and tons of people, you know, valet parking. Everyone's working really hard, and everyone's kind of doing their thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to be like, what's up, boy? Break up. 
who had this guy? Who is this guy? Right? And, uh, but they were great. I walked up to one of the mechanic. I said, hey, this is my deal. He's like, give me something, and I'll give you tools. And I'm like, here's my cell phone, because my wallet was back in the car. And I was like, here's my cell phone. He's like, I'm not taking your cell phone. I'm like, no, no, that's all I got. Take my cell phone. It's a riot that we, Craig and I were talking about this, but he wanted my license. And I went to get my cell phone. And what's interesting is he didn't want to take my cell phone because in today's world, this is worth more. Which is a because if you were someone who would give their left arm to drive in a third world country, or back even just, what, 30, 40, 50 years ago, a license was extremely valuable. And it was weird to think about where we were in this day and age. I handed him this, and he's like, uh, no, dude, I just, I just want your license. I'm like, my license, my freedom. I don't know if this is freedom. But it's funny what we've done as a society. I said, no, please do this. Answer all emails, text messages, and phone calls that come in. And he was like, no. And he took it. His mechanic shop gave me a breaker bar. But uh, it, 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 and we ended up leaving the Cape yesterday at 1 and got home at 6 p.m. last night. And it was like, my word. Could we ever get to the Cape or could we ever get home? It was good. It was really good. But I am thankful for my church family because I needed hugs from you guys this morning. So thanks for giving me hugs and high fives and laughing at my really dumb jokes. So you guys are great. So... Um, we're in the book of Romans, okay? We're in the book of Romans, and probably most of you are like, what did that whole story have to do with the book of Romans? The book of Romans, chapter 11. And though you not really even see this word in the book of Romans, chapter 11, the whole chapter is about a word called grace. A word called grace. And why I brought this whole long story is that Robin, the girl who lost her 21-year-old daughter, um, to a murder, she understood a new version of grace, right? She, she, she was forced to. And what sometimes happens to me, we all have storms. We all have things in our lives that are difficult, but we might not have some storms like that one where our 21-year-old son is murdered. We might, too. That might be something that's going on in our world. But what happens to live life that tends to just kind of like go along and church and God and Christian music and Christian culture becomes our norm. We don't mean for this to happen, but grace loses its value every day we have a normal day to us. We don't mean for this to happen. Grace begins to lose its value. And my point at looking at Romans chapter 11, I think it's Paul's point also, is that not any one of us not me, not you, not my grandmother, not my father, who's been a minister for 40 years, not Billy Graham, who shared the gospel for near 80 years, maybe even 90 years, not Mother Teresa, not one human being on earth, no matter how good or bad, is ever, this is the sermon this morning, I'm giving it to you at the beginning, so that you can really get this, and I'll give it to you at the end again, not one human being ever is a graduate of grace. No one ever graduates from grace. And you might sit there and agree with me, and you might sit there and go, hmm, that's a pretty good saying. I, I, yeah. But what happens is the life that we give leave. See, once we give our life to Christ, that's incredible. And your eyes are opened by the Spirit. But life still exists. 
And you come to know Christ, and the lie that drugs will fulfill you might be gone. Or the lie that alcohol will fulfill you might be gone. Because those are kind of like the red flag that we like to kind of tack all of our other sins on and say, there, I don't do drugs, I don't cheat on my wife, I'm not an alcoholic, and I don't listen to Rage Against the Machine. So, I'm all set. Although Rage is actually pretty good. They're phenomenal writers. If you don't like the music, you should at least read the lyrics. Their writing is amazing. Um, you probably won't hear that in many churches. Anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked. What happens to us as Christians is what happened to Jewish people back in the day, and this is what I'm talking about. So when you read scripture, if you are a church-going American, you need to potentially look at yourself in scripture as a Jew. It will help you read scripture. Because what happens to think a lot of times, we read scripture and we say, oh, that's Right? Do that scripture. And I am number one. I have to be very careful now that I've become a pastor. When I read scripture, it, it almost always begins to go from self awareness, self reflection, and, and, and observing of myself to, oh, how will this preach? How will this change the people that are listening to me speak? Right? And. and so oh, that's okay to study God's word like that. I need to be in God's word as a mirror, me, okay? Not a mirror for you, right? The word of God says is a mirror, but I'm not to really necessarily sit here and hold up the mirror at you. You are to take the mirror. Right? I was telling the guy this weekend about a really, really scary thing that you can do with a mirror. Actually, probably one of the most scary things you can do with a mirror, other than, I guess, for me, looking in the morning. But... Um, if you take a full-length mirror, and there is a uh, field of geese, you can take a mirror and walk right up to a Canadian geese. I mean, this close. Because they're in themselves in the mirror. But I tell you what, when you expose yourself to that Canadian geese, you would wish that you had never, ever, ever that. Because the has this flight or switch in them. And most of us deal with the flight switch of Canadian geese because we're a powerful way, know they can get going, and they can take off. That was pretty good, huh? They can take off, and you won't get the flight. But you take that and you come close enough to Canadian geese, and then you let that go. You are in the fight zone, and if you're the one in the fight zone, it's terrifying. If you're in the fight zone, it is hilarious. YouTube geese attacking is absolutely hilarious. Of all the barn animals to be afraid of, and I grew up on a dairy farm, of all of the barn animals, I'm Horse, draft horses, big bulls with giant horns, pigs, massive pigs. The goose is to be the worst feared. Holy moly! Where they're 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 the most. 
I have no idea what that story meant. Got us on that story. The mirror, according to James, is to be a mirror for you. And a lot of times we as Christians like to get for for our neighbor. Right? What's the deal? What's about sins is that we justify our own sin. Okay? Great example. So her gossip is sin. My gossip is request. Right? Right, 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 right. His anger is sin. But my anger is righteous. Mine is righteous. All right? His is sin. I just know beauty when I see it. Right? We, we as sinners, we, we love We love feeling justified in our sin. And we feel justified looking at someone else that we perceive as worse than us. Right? That's just what we do. And that's what Jewish people are doing. Okay? And this whole chapter 11 is about on his people. And you might say, how is this about God's grace on his people? Because if you read chapter 11, it looks like he leaves a lot of people out of his grace in this. Because they were obedient, choose him, you know, they're rebellion. The whole chapter, you realize that God's grace for his people was past, present, and future. And he loves his people. There was these two guys from San Francisco. They were kind of computer, techie, geek guys, but they were very entrepreneurial. And in their garage, they started a software. A software that allowed you to share pictures with anyone, anyone, and write little captions, and then slowly get filters and all that jazz. It was called Instagram. They stayed up all night, all night, creating the back end of this software to make sure they launched it thinking college kids will do this one of the guys never got on the T or the subway there in uh, San Francisco and I happened to look at a gentleman looking at his phone and I kind of happened to look over and he was on the Instagram app and it, he goes it made me feel so incredible we had just made that like six, seven hours ago, and he was on it. But not only that one guy, as we all know, Instagram blew up. These two, just guys, made Instagram in their garage. And 18 months later, ready for this? 18 months later, Facebook bought it for $2 billion. With a B, billion. 18 months. And now Instagram is valued at $55 billion. This guy knew he arrived when he looked through the software system and a gentleman named Barack Obama had opened an account. The President of the United States of America. He goes, that's like He said, but what the right blipped on Instagram. This is what I love, you know. The radar 
you know, President Obama did it. The radar went off the charts. A gentleman named Justin Bieber <laughs> signed up. Like we crashed. System like crashed, which I think is just a riot, right? That run the world. They did. They're the ones behind everything. They run. But in this interview, I was the creators of Instagram. The person interviewing said, how much of this was luck? How much is luck? And you guys, you know, I admit, probably 50% of it was just timing, was just the world was ready for that app. Facebook had been out for a little while. Like, we were just ready, and we had the systems, and people now had the phones with the cameras, so it was all just kind of coming together. And then they interviewed him, said, what exactly is luck? And this guy said something I thought was very interesting. He said, you know what? Everyone is lucky. Everyone is lucky. He said the difference is what you do with that luck. That's what makes the difference. And why am I sharing the story and why am I talking about luck? Is because his philosophy about luck is what the Bible says about grace. He said, everyone is lucky, but it is what you do with that luck is what makes you different than somebody else. The Bible says that grace is available to all. Titus 2.11. Titus is a beautiful book. It's also a short book. If you like short books with good punch, check out Titus. If you like short books with good punch, don't read Exodus. Don't. Titus. God's grace is available to all, and he wills that none shall perish. Doesn't want it. Here's the difference. It's what you do with that grace that separates, you know, or that, that makes it different. And what you do with that grace, there's another word in scriptures. It's called faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved. Grace is available to every human according to Scripture. But what you do with that grace is next in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of you, it's of God. Because if it is you, you have something to boast about. And what happens is that you come to salvation by grace through faith. And accidentally, we put our salvation as a mantelpiece, as a picture on our wall. Do you know what trophies collect? They collect dust and stories. And in that way. We talk about the time we didn't know Christ in the 80s or the 90s. Oh, dude, the 60s, bro. <laughs> right? We talk about when we came to know Christ as if it was when we arrived. And then it just sits there on the wall without action. And it collects dust and it collects stories. 
And that's what the Jewish people in the book of Romans chapter 11. They had chosen the almighty God. He came to Abram. And he said, Abram, you are going to be the father of a great nation with more children than you can count the stars. God was not talking about the nation of Israel when he said that. Because you know what? The nation of Israel actually is pretty small. The Jewish people in, take the culture and take just sheer numbers. Come up against India, right? China, right? Our Jewish brothers and sisters are not from a nationality that has huge amounts of people. God said in the Old Testament, he said, I will make you the father of a great nation with many, many descendants, as many as the sands on the seashore, and as many as the stars in the heaven. And then he says this, and through you I will bless all people. And that's where the as many as the stars come from. You and me are part of that promise to Abraham. And I don't know how God works. Don't get it sometimes. Poor Robin losing her son at 21 year old to an incidental murder. How does that work? I don't know. But according to chapter 11, God used the rebellion of Israel. God gave their affection to his grace and his plan as an open door for you and for me to come to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. God, what we as humans just wreck, ruin, mess up, and He turns it for good every time. And Romans chapter 11 is a beautiful picture of God's grace both past, present, and future. And the first part of Romans chapter in those first ten verses, you'll see that God's people are chosen by grace and are still chosen by grace. You'll see in the middle that they should humble you and me. Because when God humbles you and me, we never grasp of it. The problem with you and me Americans is that we believe we've arrived. We're all trying to get that feeling of arrival. I'm arrived. No. You know what that actually root is from? Do you know where that desire of arrival is from? It's dark, people. It's darker than you could ever imagine. That root of a rifle is from the devil himself. Because he was the original one that said, I have arrived. And when he said, I have arrived, it began evil. Because he was asked to leave the heavenlies. And so you might look at the sins in your life and you might think about the ones that you deem wrong. Drinking, sex, drugs, rock and roll. The church loves to focus on that. But it is our pride, American Christians, that is the darkest, darkest seed within you and within me. For it is our pride that turns our nose at God's grace. Because if you're addicted 
to alcohol, you know you need grace. If you're addicted to pornography, you know you need grace. If you're addicted to food, you know you need grace. You're addicted to, to, to drugs, you know you need grace. It's us, arrived American Christians, that are raising proper families to go off and do proper things. That is dangerous stuff. And it's the trap that the Israelites fell into. Did you read this? Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare. A trap that makes them think all is well. I couldn't help but long for what Robin was talking about from the stage as she explained her story of losing a son and through grace forgiving the murderers of her son. I want it with child. I want it having fire. I want it losing a job. And maybe by the grace of God, I will. But what that was attractive was not a cheap grace. Not cheap at all. And we don't mean to, but when we arrive, when we get all of our ducks in a row, our career, our children, our jobs, our 401k, our home that we wanted to build, that vacation that we've always wanted to do, when we arrive, we begin to lie to ourselves and say we don't need grace. And that is a dangerous place to be. So I, my prayer is that our church, our congregation, will help me not arrive there. And my prayer is that we help each other not arrive there. Because not one of us is a graduate of grace. We need it daily hourly grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sin jesus we love you god we thank you for your grace grace meaning we have received something that we do not deserve and that's salvation. I thank you, Lord, for this church, your word. I thank you for your people, the Jewish people. How beautiful, Lord, the Jewish people are. God, may we fall in love with them, knowing, Lord, that you still love them. And according to Paul, even 2,000 years ago, you still have a plan for your people. Thank you for adopting us, <laughs> goobers like me, adopting us into your family, giving us hope, giving us a father, a perfect father. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, awaken faith in our hearts that we might put our full hope and trust in you. In the name we pray. Amen.